Well, good morning. My name is David Amon. For those that don't know me, because I'm not usually up here, I'm on staff at Northwest as the Director of Administration. It's my privilege to get to handle events and finances and communications and media and a whole lot of other things that don't usually have me right here. But it's a privilege that I get to open up God's Word for you this morning and uh, really open up God's Word in an area that He's been working in my life in a big way, um, an area that is significant, I think, to each of us. And I hope that you leave this morning encouraged uh, as we continue in this Words to Live by series. Today I want to talk about um, really a simple question that's going to start our discussion. And it's a question that I think that we answer on a daily basis. It's a question that you might answer uh, when you meet somebody new in your neighborhood at the pool. It's a question you might answer through your social media posts and what you say on social media. It's a question that you might answer even in discussing with your kids tough questions and they're asking you things and how you respond to them is going to, uh, in some ways, answer the question uh, that I would like us to ask this morning. Uh, This question is one that you answer on a daily basis when you engage in conflict. It's a question that we answer um, when we choose not to engage in conflict, when we choose to handle difficult situations. The question that we're going to answer today is the question, who are you or who am you? I. Uh, You see, the reason why I think this question is important and why it's going to shape a little bit of our discussion today is because this question, sometimes while it's answered overtly, sometimes it's answered subliminally through how we respond to situations, this question um, is oftentimes answered because what we do defines who we are. Uh, A lot of times, if you think about it, um, what your job is or your role in your family and those things. And um, to start off with, I want to tell you a story about a time when I tried to answer the question, who is David Amon? in middle school. Um, You guys all remember middle school days. Uh, Some of you will remember the same middle school days that I remember. Some of you might have had children in this era. Some of you might have been children. Some of you are way too young and you don't remember it at all. But in the mid-90s, I was a middle schooler. And in the mid-90s, as most middle schoolers do, um, I I fell for a trend uh, or wanted to fall for a trend. It's a short-lived phase, fortunately, that was part of my identity at that time. Um, you see, in the 90s, there arose this movement that um, is still actually going on today. Um, but the 90s, 1995, was the first year that the extreme games took place. Those extreme games later became known as the X Games, and many of you probably watch them on ESPN every year. You have your favorite sports. Maybe you even follow it religiously and have an athlete that you like. Um, and I got kind of excited about this because it was kind of knew that it was hitting the mainstream. You know, skateboarding, of course, has been a, a thing for a long time. But um, the sport that I latched onto, and a couple of my buddies also, was the aggressive inline skating sport. Uh, you'll see... You'll see, uh, you'll see a picture behind me of what aggressive inline skating usually involves. I used this particular set because um, that was the skill I will tell you about in a minute that I tried to hone in on. Um, I wanted to be an aggressive inline skater. Now, um, the next picture shows the pair of skates that I saved up all my money for. They are called the K2, K2 Fatty Pro. They are really expensive. I did not, however, subscribe to the look. Um, my parents, I think my parents didn't let me. Um, I don't remember wanting those jeans. My buddies did, and they did wear them. Jinkos, if you remember them. Um, really cool for uh, six months or maybe a year. I don't know. It didn't last long, fortunately. No, it actually probably lasted a lot longer than that. Anyways, in middle school, this was who I wanted to be. I wanted to define myself for a very short period of time uh, as a skater. Um, you see, the reason why I wanted that was because I thought it was really cool, and I thought, man, if I can get those skates um, and I can learn those skills, man, that would just be really, that'd be really neat. It'd be really fun to do that. Um, I like playing outside. I like bike riding and other things. But man, this is going to be my new skill. This is going to be my new identity. So my buddy Craig, um, he, uh, his dad was really supportive of this 
for some reason. Uh, and he built us a rail so that we could try these moves. Uh, it was called grinding. You would grind the rail. Um, that's just what they called it. Um, and he built, I think, a box jump or some other thing. And we used these things in his driveway. Uh, actually, we used them in his grass uh, because we weren't good enough to actually leave the grass because, well, we would have wounds beyond what we probably had um, for the few weeks that we tried this and realized we weren't any good at it. It was something I attempted to define myself. I worked and worked and I did things because I wanted to achieve a certain identity. I wanted to be able to say, I'm a skater. This is who I am. There's going to be a picture in a second of who I, what I looked like. I didn't dress like a skater. Um, I was kind of a nerdy little kid. That's me. Yep, you can laugh. I laughed. Soak it in. The closest I got to fame for my skating skills was nowhere near the inline skating fame I aspired to. It was the Holly Springs newspaper celebrating Holly Springs Elementary School opening in fall of 1996. This was actually published many years later, but somehow they still had a picture of me as a teenager skating. That was my claim to fame. Holly Springs Sun, I believe it was called or something. I can't remember exactly. My mom might, uh, might, might remember. She saved the clipping. It's in my car. I wasn't a skater. They didn't, they didn't even give me my name right there. It's just as Holly Springs Elementary opened. I never achieved this dream of who I could be. I say that because I think it's a funny analogy of the identities that we aspire to, and I think we all have funny stories of the silly things that for maybe it was weeks, maybe it was months, maybe it was years you spent trying to do the things to achieve an identity that may or may not have been realized. Maybe you have realized the identity you were aspiring to, a worldly identity maybe, uh, a good one, a career even, things that aren't necessarily in and of themselves bad. Um, but on a more serious note, I want us to think about the other aspects of our identity, the other aspects of how people would answer the question if I was to ask your spouse or your children, if we were to ask your social media followers, who is David? If we were to ask somebody, else's question, somebody else these questions of what makes David David? What makes you you? What is your identity and who are you known to be? Are you defined by the things that you do or in my middle school days, the things that you try to do very, very unsuccessfully, are you known because of the job that you have? Is that your identity? Man, I am this, fill in the blank, and that's my identity. Are you known by your role in your family, and that's your identity, and you are wrapped up because this is who I am, and that's, that's fine. All of these things are good things, but it's a question of how much are those things the weight of who we are and how we answer this question. The way that we answer the question of how who are we oftentimes dictates the decisions that we make or even those decisions that we've made create that identity of who we are. And I think this is an important thing for us to know about because God answers some of these questions about our identity in his word. And to be honest, it can be a hard thing because this idea of worldly identities versus an identity being in Christ are very different sometimes. And I struggle with it, I'll be honest. It's one of these things that I, the reason why this is my word to live by is because it's one of the things that God has to constantly remind me of. Um, God knew that we were going to struggle with this identity. God knew that we were going to think too highly of ourselves until we're middle schoolers that can't skate. But in many cases, if we were going to think too highly of ourselves, we were going to struggle with pride. We are going to struggle with self-worth and wanting to earn an identity that might be something for us to have. In this case, Paul is speaking of our eternal identity, which is where we're going to spend the rest of our time today. In Ephesians 2, you can read it on the screen. We're going to spend our time in Ephesians 1, so if you want to go ahead and get there, it should be on the same page in your Bible. In Ephesians 2, 1, Paul speaks about our identity uh, both before and after Christ. He says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, 
following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. This little passage right here is important to us because it starts to give us an idea of what our identity is in Christ. He uses words like with Christ, in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus. And this phrase, in Christ, is where I want us to spend some of our time this morning because this phrase is really, really important. It's just a little phrase. It's just a couple words. You might say, well, David, how do you know it's important? Well, we know things are important when they're repeated. Uh, When Paul says this 216 times in his writings that we are in Christ, we are in him, we are in the beloved. He repeats himself over and over and over and over again. We know that it must be important because he wouldn't have said it over and over again if he didn't think it was important, and probably if he didn't think we might forget it or might struggle with it. That's where I am. I know that I know it. I know that I have the knowledge. I understand those words apply, but I don't necessarily live it. And that's why Paul says it over and over and gives us visual word pictures of what that means to be in Christ. One scholar even wrote that in Christ far outstrips the term Christian in describing Christianity. Christian is only used three times in the New Testament, while 216 times in Christ is written. And it demands reflection on the dynamic living relationship we have in Christ. Paul wouldn't repeat this phrase over and over unless it was important and unless you really thought we might forget what it means. I think about it, many of you are parents. If you're not parents, you have parents. Think about something that either you say to your kids or you have said to your kids over and over and over again. If you're kids, think about something that mom and dad say over and over and over again. Maybe it's something really important. Maybe it's something really silly. I have two examples. Um, The first example is the silly example. In my house right now, I say to my children all the time, close the garage door. You see, my kids are two and a half and four, and they're old enough that they can let themselves in and out of the house on their own, which is great, but our garage door from the house into the garage is, it doesn't shut behind them because it's not on, you know, it's just a house. It just stays open. And I can't tell you how many times I walk into the house and it's like, oh my goodness, no wonder it's hot in here. We've been cooling the entire cul-de-sac with this air conditioning. You guys know what I'm talking about, obviously, you parents. You've been there, you've done that, and you're glad that you're beyond that stage, some of you. Isaac and Zoe hear this regularly from me, and I'm sure it's going to sink in one day. But right now, that's my phrase I say over and over again. There's another phrase we say over and over in our family. It's this phrase that if I said it right now, my son, who's I think in here, would actually probably be able to finish it. I would say, I love, he would finish you yesterday, today, and tomorrow, too. This came from a child's book that we read, and we said, that's really cool, like, he liked it, we liked it, we picked it up, and we repeat it daily and daily and daily. I said it to him this morning before I left the house. My kids know this phrase, and it's not because it's just, you know, inconsequential. We think this is important for our kids to know that we love them yesterday, today, and tomorrow too, and that's the reason why we repeat it over and over again, and that's the reason why Paul uses this phrase in Christ over and over and over again because he wants us to hold on to what this means. Today's message from Ephesians 1 is for everybody in this room. If you're a Christ follower, uh, it's for you because whether you're struggling today, whether you're struggling recently, 
Whether you haven't struggled, thank God, with your identity, that's great, but you will someday. We have to hold on to this, and it can be hard to hold on to our identity when we're trying to balance our identity in the world with our identity in Christ. It's difficult. It just is. But I hope that today as we unpack these verses and discover what Paul says about our identity being in Christ, the significance of what that means, that you will be encouraged and you will be able to hold on to the truth of what you haven't done to earn that identity. As just as I tried so hard to earn an identity that I never could achieve, I never had that identity, we don't have to work hard to achieve this new identity that we have in Christ. And that is beautiful. If you aren't a follower of Jesus, then this is really good news for you. Because if you haven't yet made that commitment, if you are still wondering, how does this look? How do I work this out? What does this mean for me? It might be because you think that you need to do something to earn it. And the message today that I want you to leave with is that he's invited you in and he's already done the work. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, he says, for it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. That's my takeaway from this part of where we're going to go with this message. It's the fact that we cannot do anything to achieve the most important identity that we have. And that is where Paul's focus on in Christ needs to be. That's why he speaks of this. That's why it's 216 times that he repeats this idea over and over again. And I'm excited to share with you what God's teaching me and what the reminder that I've been holding on to in Ephesians 1. As we go through these verses, we're going to read um, a whole section of scripture that we're not even going to be, don't worry, we're not going to unpack every part. You're like, David, man, first time up here in a few years and you're going to preach for an hour? Good grief. No, I promise. I'm going to stay to my time, but I encourage you after today Take this passage, let this be something that you marinate in this week. Let it be something that you let God's word soak as you think through what this looks like. There is going to be something in here that you say, man, I wish David could have gone there because I don't get that phrase. Go there this week, study it, look at God's word. Paul says some amazing things in here that we're going to talk about, but we can't possibly dig into all of them. But we're going to be in Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. So turn there with me if you can. If you've got a Bible, open it up. If you've got an app, open it up. If you don't have either, that's okay, it's on the screen. Um, We're going to read Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. Notice the phrase, in him, in Christ, in the beloved. Notice the things that point to our relationship in Jesus. Notice what it says about you and me. And notice what it says about God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. In these verses, Paul uses that phrase in him a lot of the instances, not 216, obviously. But Paul actually has this sentence. If we were to look back at the original Greek, this is one big, long, run-on sentence. 
This is like Paul starting out this letter. He says, there's a lot of things I need to remind you of in this letter. But the first thing is this really important thing. And he goes on. It's like if you made a list. And you're like, man, I need you to know this and this and this and this and this and this. And this. And you're just so excited about it. The time when I have run on sentences is when I've just got so many ideas and I just, I want you to hear all of them. And my mom could probably tell you stories of my English papers that she'd have to correct. And I loved these compound things where I just keep going and going and going. And that's what Paul did here. It's not because he cares about the grammar. It's because he cares about them getting the point, the point of being in Christ. He's going to get practical. If you read Ephesians, if you know Ephesians, you know he's going to talk about unity. He's going to talk about marriage relationships. He's going to talk about parent and child relationships. He's going to talk about so many things that are practical and that are important for us to understand as believers. But first, he wants us to remind, be reminded of the fact that our identity is in Christ, not in ourselves. And we're only going to scratch the surface on this. Like I said, there are so many things that I love to go back to when I'm struggling with discouragement or I recognize my pride or I think my self-worth is wrapped up in who I am because of what I've done. This is a passage I go to, Ephesians 1 and 2, to remind myself of who I am in Jesus. And today, I just want to focus in on verse 5. You can look back again there. It's going to be on the screen. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. The significance of our being in Christ is actually really built out in this paragraph or these words alone right here because of our predestined to adoption, this idea of we are adopted to God as sons through Jesus Christ. Uh, why is this important? Why adoption? Why, why, why spend time here? Um, well, because it's God's word um, and it's one of these phrases that if we look at it, I think we sometimes miss it. In fact, um, I've thought about it a lot. I think that sometimes um, as I think about how we speak about our salvation, we speak about our relationship with God, we sometimes miss certain parts of it. It's really easy to do because it's a very important thing. It's a very um, large concept and sometimes we spend more time than others on certain aspects of it and sometimes we spend time on the things that are easy. Um, and I think sometimes we spend time on the, the side of it where we're saved from something. Think about it this way. We talk a lot about how when Jesus was on the cross, you've heard this message preached, I think even this past Easter, that when Jesus was on the cross, he said, it is finished. The word there is tetelestai, has this idea of your debt being paid in full. And that is phenomenal. That is something that we celebrate. We think that is really, really important as a church. It talks about this idea that we had a penalty for our sins and that has been paid for. We are saved from our sin. And that is huge. Christ did the work. We received the benefit. That's amazing. But my concern, and I think Paul's concern, in using some of this other language that we're going to dig into today, is that there's more to it than just being saved from sin. It's not just that we got to get rid of that old identity, but now we have a new identity. Paul actually speaks about the redemption side of things in verse 7 where he says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Obviously this idea of being redeemed, which carries with it an idea of being taken from slavery. That we were taken out of this horrible past that we had and we were put into a new place because we no longer have that, that slavery. But what is that new place? Well, the adoption word here used in verse 5 helps us put the full picture together. That we were saved from sin, we were redeemed. And we are saved to a new family, to a new identity in Christ. And that's the word, adopted. We're no longer sinners. We're adopted into a new family, to a new identity. And this is really important. And whenever we look at God's word, it's important to understand why the context was what it was. You know, we can talk about the context in the New Testament. We can talk about the context in the Old Testament. But we also need to understand about the people who are reading this. 
And so before we dive into a couple points that I want you to take away today, I want you to understand that the word adoption here wasn't written in 2017, obviously. We know Paul didn't write this to us. It doesn't say to the saints at Northwest Community Church. It says to the saints in Ephesus. Well, it's really cool if we think about the history and if you dig into it, and I did some of this this week, and I honestly got bogged down in some of it and could have given you a history lesson, but you didn't really want all that. So I'm going to give you a couple nuggets. In the Roman Empire, the word adoption carried a lot of weight. Um, you might think, okay, well, how, how do you know that, David? How do we know that the word adoption carried weight? Well, um, the first reason we only know it is that in the, in the Roman culture, the household structure, family structure, was actually really significant. Yes, families are significant. I'm not saying they're not. But there was a huge amount of power that resided in, um, a word was the pater familias, the, the head of the house, the father of the house. And um, in my family, for instance, um, my dad is sitting right over here. And so you would think, well, then um, my dad is my pater familias. He's my, the head of my household because he's here. He's living today. He's the head. But actually, his dad's still alive. So his dad would be the head of his house. If we were lived in the Roman Empire, Carl Amon, who is my grandfather, would be the head of the household. When my mom married my dad, she would have married into that household. Carl is the head of that household. Carl leads his family, and he helps them know how to live in, the, in their culture. He leads them in a big way. It's not that our grandparents and our parents don't lead us in this culture here today, but it was a whole different element in their culture. It was really interesting that you actually technically, I wouldn't be in my own household. The Amon household, being David and Shannon and Isaac and Zoe, wouldn't even really technically exist. We would be part of the Carl Amon household. That would have been significant. The people that were reading this letter knew how the Roman family structure worked, how this household structure worked, how they would hear that God is the father of a new household and that we are adopted into that household. That carries with it a weight. One of the weights of that, or one of the, the, the reasons why we know this is important, is because it was actually very prominent in their government. Like, everybody would have known this. For a century, the Roman emperors were actually each adopted. The men that were leading the Roman emperor, the empire at this time for, I believe it was close to 100 years in a row, each successive emperor had been adopted into his family. Why? Well, because the previous empire didn't have a daughter, or only had daughters and never had a son. And in their culture, the male was going to lead the, em the empire, so in this case, um, they had to adopt. One um, commentator put it this way, adoption was a means by which succession to power was brought about from the late first century to the middle of the second century. Successive Roman emperors adopted men not related to them by blood with the intention that an adoptee would succeed the emperor, and adoption became crucial to the continuation of the family line. During Christ's lifetime, after his death, the legal and political acceptance and ramifications of adoption played out at the highest level of government in front of everybody, as emperors who had no sons chose heirs to ensure the continuation of the family line. For, for the Christians, this becomes extremely significant because the three places where Paul speaks about adoption in describing our relationship to Christ are all written to Roman Empire locations. Galatians, Ephesians, and Romans were written at a time when adoption secured the lineage of the ruling family of Rome, and the writer of these books, as well as the recipients, would have understood the weight that adoption carried in their culture. 
These believers lived under rulers that for many years, even when this was written, they would have known, well, Nero's not, not Claudius' son. Nero is the next generation that was adopted, and then the, the Nero adopted his son. And they would have understood how this worked. They would have understood that this was not just a temporary thing. This was a permanent thing. This was huge. And there's a ton more that could be said. I, I had a lot of different things I wanted to do there, but it's like, oh, man, without getting into a history lesson, and you guys didn't want to come to class this morning, you came to hear God's word and be encouraged by it. But if you're really interested in this, if you want to know more about it, there's some excellent books out there on how adoption fit into the Roman culture and why that's important. But what's important for us to understand here this morning is that our adoption is from God. He is the head of the household. He is the father of the house that we are adopted. And it comes through Jesus, and it's apart from us. Just as in that culture, those sons that were adopted into that family didn't choose to be adopted in that family. The father chose that son because he saw that he should be part of that family. He chose him because of whatever reasons. He said, this is the son that I want to be in this household. You'll notice in this passage, this is the first thing, that adoption from God is through Jesus and apart from us. First thing, adoption is from, from God through Jesus apart from us. In this passage, not once, except for talking about us believing, it doesn't say anything about doing it doesn't say anything about deserving. It doesn't say anything about what we've done to obtain any of these gifts, any of these blessings. It only speaks to who we are in Christ as a result of faith. In Ephesians 2, as we read already, it talks about how we were dead and we're alive by faith in Jesus Christ. By God's grace, we are part of this family. We don't deserve it. We didn't do anything to earn it. And that is huge. For me, it's huge because if you know me, I'm, um, I'm a to-do list guy. Uh, my job entails being a details guy and organizing things, and I, I read books and download apps and study these things because I like efficiency. I'm a nerd big time about these things, and, um, and that's, that's fine. Um, however, it's dangerous when that eats into other parts of my life. When I think that my identity in Christ could potentially be based in anything that I've done, that becomes a dangerous thing. For you, you may not struggle quite the same way I do, but you know people that do, and you've probably experienced it when you have a goal and you achieve it, when you have a workout goal that you want to achieve, when there's a degree you want to complete and you get there, when there's something in your family and your family achieves this goal, whatever it is, you know what it's like and how easy it is to become excited for yourself and wrapped up in that, and that's not bad, but what if our spiritual identity is wrapped up in what you do? That's not possible. That's not how God designed this because he knew that we would take too much credit. He knew that our self-worth would be wrapped up in who we are and it's not going to be able to work that way. I want to be able to claim that I've done something to earn this new title that I have in Christ, but that's not how adoption works. That's not how God structured this to work. You are in Christ because of God. By your faith alone can you be called God's child. I love the way John Piper put it. He extrapolated a little bit on this phrase that comes up in the next passage. And he says, adoption is one of the most profound realities in the universe. I say universe and not world because adoption goes beyond the world. It is greater than the world than it is before the world in the plan of God. And it will outlast the world as we know it. Indeed, it is greater than the universe and is rooted in God's own nature. Paul reminds us in these verses that God chose us before the foundation of the world. He loved us before the foundation of the world. And it was his plan to bring us into his family before the foundation of the world. If it was before the foundation of the world, what did I do? Nothing. I wasn't here but it was part of God's plan that I would be in Christ because he wanted us to be his family. We cannot fully experience these blessings if we think that we've done something. We have to rest in knowing that God brings us into his family through his own doing. I love uh, another pastor, Francis Chan, one of my favorites. He, he and I must be similar. He says, because I want to get a lot done, 
I do too. I can sometimes do that in my flesh. If I don't rest in the Lord and enjoy him as I should, my action doesn't spring from my identity and enjoyment of Christ. When that happens, I end up getting the glory rather than Jesus. I go back to the phrase that I use in my house that I told you. I love you yesterday, today, and tomorrow too. Part of the reason why um, it's really significant and as I've started to learn things being a young father and understanding God's heart for me as I see it reflected in how I love my kids and the fact that did Isaac and Zoe do anything to deserve this love that I can already say I'm going to love them yesterday, today, and tomorrow too and I say it again tomorrow? No, they haven't done anything to deserve it. Do they do cute things? Sure. Are they adorable? Do I love them? They're awesome, but they also do things that make us crazy, and someday they're going to be rebellious teenagers. Not that you guys are. Um, And it's going to be a thing that I'm going to have to remind myself. I love them yesterday, today, and tomorrow too. And I'm starting a little bit to understand this heart of God in that he loves us no matter what. It's not anything we can do. It's not something we did to earn that. It's because we're his children and he wants us. And he claimed us before the foundation of the world. Adoption is from God. Our identity is in Christ, through Christ, and apart from us. Another thing that's important, the second key point, if you want to write something down, is that adoption is permanent and results in a change of position. Adoption is permanent. It results in a change of position. It's not temporary. It's not for a season. It's not, oh, well, we're going to let you be part of the family now, but you're a second-class citizen, and you only get to do this part of it. Um, It's interesting, as I was reading for um, the Roman culture and trying to understand it, there's a story about Nero, um, who was adopted by a man named Claudius. Uh, So Claudius has a daughter named Octavia, and the reason he adopts Nero is because he doesn't have any sons. So he says, Nero, you are going to carry on the the family tree. You are going to carry on my lineage. So Nero becomes part of the family. Well, it's interesting. I don't know when this happened, but Nero falls in love with Octavia. Uh Uh-oh. And we say, "Uh uh-oh, because they're family. Even in the Roman culture, that was an uh uh-oh. Like, it was a problem. Nero and Octavia are brother and sister, and the whole country, the whole empire would have looked at it that way, and they said, this is a problem. It's not technically a problem from the side of things that you're not technically blood-related, but it's a problem because you're family. So, we're not going to go too far with this, but Claudius changed the laws and allowed this to happen because he wanted it to be able to happen, whatever, but the point of it was that they had to go through legal hoops and justifications and make this possible to make it happen because in the Roman culture, Nero was every bit Claudius' son. It wasn't that he was only Claudius' son in the realm of carrying on the family tree in the political realm, but, oh yeah, you can marry my daughter, that's no big deal, that doesn't count. No, Nero was part of the family, and that was a huge part of why this adoption uh, metaphor would not have been lost on the people that received this, because they would have watched this happen in their government firsthand. See, Nero have to have laws changed to be able to go beyond what this adoption thing is, and this is huge. This analogy helps us just understand that the, the people that were reading this would have understood the weight of the permanence, the not temporary nature, the not partial nature, but the fullness of adoption being complete in a new position. Nero left behind every bit of who he was, and he became part of Claudius's family. We leave behind every part of who we were. We become part of God's family. If you're part of a family, you're, you're an heir, right? That means an inheritance is, is going to happen to you. Whether there's anything to inherit or not is besides the point, but you're, you're going to inherit whatever that family has when father passes on and mother passes on and that follows down the family tree. And Paul speaks of us as being co-heirs with Christ numerous times in Scripture to help us elaborate on the fact that we aren't even a lesser class than Jesus. 
Jesus, who was perfect, who was God's son, who is the key to us even being in Christ, we're now equals with him. We are God's children. We are part of his family, and that is part of who we are. We get to obtain the same inheritance that he did, eternal life at the right hand of God. We get to be with the Father in eternity, and this is huge. If you think you've done enough to earn this, if you think that you can, can be good enough for this identity, it's really hard to rest. It's really hard for me, I know, as someone who's guilty of this, to, um, to unconditionally, uh, to accept that I'm unconditionally and permanently loved by God. None of us are better than each other in this situation. It's no hierarchy. God is our father and he is the head of our household and we are adopted as his sons and daughters. If we live out of that security of knowing that we are in Christ, that we are permanently adopted as God's children, it ought to change the way we live. If you are in Christ, you are part of a new family. No matter how you feel about the family you were born into, you're now adopted into a new family. You're part of this family. Paul reminds us in this passage that, and throughout his letters that being in Christ is a new identity and that we cannot forget it. 216 times he says, you are in Christ. 216 times he tells us, this means you are a redeemed and adopted son of God. We've been brought from slavery, from sin, to a new identity in Christ. We all know that being part of a family can be messy sometimes. Families have to deal with conflict. Families have to deal with struggles. Families have to deal with each other's faults. Families have to deal with people speaking from stage that maybe you don't want to hear again, and that's okay because I'll be up in a little while. It'll be a while, so it's okay. The family uh, that we are in has the Holy Spirit working in us. That's part of this promise that we hold on to here, and, and that means that we can live out of that a new identity in a new way. Let's live like we are in Christ. What does this look like? Man, there's so many things that that looks like. There's just a sampling of things that I would love for you to just let these words soak over you. These are the list of promises that I see just in these verses of what it means to be in Christ. To be in Christ means you are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You are chosen before the foundation of the world. You are chosen. You are holy and blameless. You are loved. You are adopted as sons. You bring God glory. You, your life brings him praise. You are redeemed from sin, and you are forgiven. You are lavished with the riches of his grace. Man, that would be a fun verse to unpack. I don't know what lavish looks like necessarily. I can think of it, mainly when it involves food. That's a lavish spread, or I don't know, something. We didn't just get a tiny little serving. We got a lavish serving of God's grace in our life. You are united to God and you have an inheritance. It doesn't matter if you have not a penny to your name on this earth or if you are the richest person on this earth. You have an eternal inheritance in Christ. You are lavishly loved and gifted with that inheritance, and you are sealed by the Holy Spirit. It is a permanent change of position to a new family. We've only barely begun to dig in to what the truths in the scripture are. I would love to go further. If we don't have time this morning, I would love for you to take this passage and think about it this week. Think through what it is that you struggle with with your identity and where God speaks to that through these words. If you've ever struggled with your identity or you think you might struggle with your identity, hold on to these words. This passage is for you because it's a reminder that our position in Christ is permanent. It's through God our Father, through Jesus Christ, and not through us. If you haven't put your faith in Jesus, if you're struggling with that idea and you think, man, I'm not there yet because I'm actually relying on myself, I would challenge you, give it up. It's not through you. Jesus has done the work. You can be in Christ by your faith alone, and we know that because God has said it in his word. Trust in Jesus today. I know some of you are a lot like me, and you'd rather your identity be wrapped up in the things that you could do, the things that you can control. 
That's, that's a tough thing. I, I can struggle with that. And that's, again, why this is my word to live by. When you are in Christ, things are going to be done differently. You ought to live differently. And it's a natural outflow that we as a church family will love differently, serve selflessly. We'll be unified because there's no hierarchy. I'm not better because I'm sharing the word than anybody else in here. You could step up here. You could share what God's teaching you. We can all learn from one another because we are unified as God's children and his family. He's teaching each of us things that matter. We don't love or do good or serve because we have anything to prove. And that's a beautiful thing when there's no more competition. There's no more, oh, I do this because I want to earn this role. It's because we are in Christ and that's it. One of the most beautiful ways, we already talked about it this morning a little bit, that we live out of being in Christ is through actual physical adoption here on this world. And that's one of those things that it's not the takeaway that everybody has to take today. I'm not going to tell you that. I'm going to lose every one of you if I tell you that, um, or some of you at least. Um, some of you would say, though, that that is part of your story, that you have adopted because you understand your adoption into God's family. And that is one of the most beautiful pictures of our new identity in Christ. It's amazing that we're part of a church family where a number of you have already or are in the process of adopting, and we think that's amazing. I can't think of a more powerful way for us to reflect God's love for us as his children, our new identity in Christ, this unconditional love that he has for us than by actually displaying that to somebody who needs the same thing here on earth. We have the opportunity to live that out selflessly through adoption, through other ways of supporting people that are adopting through being involved in that part of our life and our world. It is a significant part of how we can display that we are in Christ. Pray for those people that have adopted, that are adopting, and be part of that part of their life. Consider whether that's something that God has called you to as part of being in Christ. Go back to the question we started with today. Who are you? Who am I? What defines you? What defines me? Are we defined by what we do, the silly things or the important things in life? Is our definition of our identity an, an employment that we have or an achievement that we've made? Or is our identity wrapped up in who Jesus is and what he's done for us? This is one of those things that I know I struggle with, so I assumed other people would. I hope that today uh, you can leave knowing that the answer to who you are is that you are in Christ if you have trusted in him by your faith alone and that you are adopted and that that has huge ramifications we are a family because we are adopted. We are redeemed from our sin to a new family, and that is who we are as the church. You are in Christ, you are adopted, and I hope we can live that way. Let's pray. God, we thank you uh, that this morning we're a whole bunch of people that didn't do enough, that deserved any of these gifts that you have given us, but that we can live by your grace, that we can love others by your grace, that we can worship because of who you are and what you've done for us. God, we thank you. We are no longer slaves to sin, but we are freed to something new. We are freed as your sons and daughters, and then that bears with it a new standing. That bears with it a new identity and inheritance and confidence that comes not from our own doing, even when it's difficult to hold on to those things. God, I pray that as a church family, we would live out of that, that we would uh, be an example of that to the world around us. And I thank you for your faithfulness in giving us your son and loving us before the foundation of the world. I thank you that this is who you are and that this is who we are in Christ. I pray that we would live differently we would love differently because we are adopted from you through Jesus and not because of anything we've done. Thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.